Well, good morning, Harvest. I hope everyone is doing well wherever you're at this morning. Maybe you're in your living room or uh, you're in a car somewhere parked listening on a device. Maybe you're still in bed. God bless you. Uh, Wake up. It's time to look in God's word this morning for what he has for us. Uh, Take a moment and turn with me to Matthew 14. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, um, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here And uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 14. So go ahead and turn there to Matthew 14. I hope you all had a great week this week, uh, celebrating the greatest gift of all, um, the Savior that came to us. Now think about that for just a minute. And before we dive into our passage today, I want to take a quick moment to go down this rabbit hole uh, of the gravity of the incarnation. Because I believe it will only condition our hearts to uh, hear God's word in a, a, a greater and more fresh perspective this morning, especially with what we're talking about. Think about this. Jesus, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the word of God made flesh who holds all things together, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's eternal. He came to us with a heart not to be served, but to serve. With a heart not to live, but to die, with a heart not to condemn, but to save. And before we allow our flesh any opportunity to think that we had any reason in ourselves to deserve this, let's wrap our heads around this concept for a second. Jesus had zero obligation to do any of this. Our Lord had zero obligation to come to us, to die and take the penalty of our sin, to interject it all. He didn't have to do any of it. And he knows better than anyone else in human history that uh, we, the people that he came for, didn't remotely deserve him. The sin that condemned us didn't have to be paid for by anyone else except ourselves. Yet, 2,000 years ago, history's storyline cracked in two when that baby was born and God himself, Emmanuel, came to be with us, to heal us, to redeem us, to save us. This indisputable reality of Jesus' incarnation has changed absolutely everything in human history. In fact, actually, I don't know if you know this. You probably do know this. Most people know the difference between B.C. and A.D. But did you know that's the reason why we have that split in history and the timing and how we uh, measure our years right now? Back in the day... Uh, back in year zero, this event happens and it was so big and so indisputable that all of humanity, mainly the church at the time, was like, you know what, we need to uh, uh, pretty much start history over because this was the greatest thing that has ever happened. So that's why we have B.C., meaning before Christ, and then A.D., which is Latin, Anno Domini, which stands for the year of our Lord. And that's because of the indisputable reality that Jesus came, the Son of God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us, and that changed absolutely everything. And my question for you this morning, before we get anywhere else, is have, uh, are, are you living in the B.C.? Or the AD? Are you living in the before Christ or the year of our Lord? Have you recognized your sin and your hopelessness apart from Jesus' death on the cross for you? Have you received the free gift of believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, repenting of your sin, receiving forgiveness and new life in Him? Because there is no salvation, no salvation apart from Jesus. And if you don't have it, you need it. And the great news 
the greatest news of all time and the reason why they started history over is that it's free. It's a free gift. The question is, will you bow your heart to him and recognize your need and receive that free gift and begin living in the AD, in the year of our Lord? Now, I know some of you are thinking, you're like, whoa, whoa, I think my internet must have glitched. Uh, Did I miss the message? Because he's giving the gospel call right now. Doesn't that normally happen at the end of the sermon? And uh, the answer to that is yes, typically it does. But today is a backward sermon because uh, what we're going to learn today and what we're going to see in God's word in Matthew 14 Uh, is only possible and effective in a foundation uh, of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to start there in your life. Otherwise, what we do is we end up making the mistake of just doing the things in the Bible and thinking that we're saving ourselves by doing the things of the Bible as opposed to responding to the salvation that was given to us by grace through faith and then by glorifying the Lord, being obedient to what God is telling us in his word. And so I appeal to you right now, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ this morning, wherever you're watching, maybe you're tuning in for the first time, maybe you just saw this feed pop up on your Facebook feed as you were scrolling through, and for whatever reason you're watching me right now talking about this, you don't even know who I am. Would you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ this morning, recognizing that he is indeed who he said he is, the Savior of the world, God with us, Emmanuel, who can save us from our sins. Please don't delay on this because I think if we've learned anything in 2020 is that we don't have as much time as we thought we might have in this life. It's been a tough year. It's stretched us personally. It's stretched us relationally. It has stretched us as a church corporately. And many of us had to celebrate the holidays this year without someone uh, that we were expecting to celebrate the holidays with. Uh, Many of us have had job situations that have completely turned backwards or maybe don't even exist anymore because of this pandemic. And the statistics right now of the collective mental health of our humanity in this world and our nation is pretty staggering. And if we are not careful, when life catches up to us, when we face the hard circumstances, when things just don't go the way that we want them to go and uh, something happens that we didn't want to have happen in our lives, uh, what happens is we often decide then to run to the wrong things. And this is the weekend, you know, the last weekend of the year where we take inventory of the last year and we kind of look at the things that worked and the things that didn't work and, and we decide then, okay, uh, in 2020, here are the things that I now want to change for 2021 and we make the year, New Year's resolutions. And it, might I make a suggestion that for many of us, myself included, looking back at 2020 demands that we should be careful of what we run to when the heat is turned up in our lives. You know what I'm talking about? We run to all of the wrong things. I made a quick list for us in case you were confused about this point. Here, here's a quick list of the things that we collectively as humanity decided to run to in 2020 that just left a big void in our lives. The first one is a pretty obvious, uh, social media. Man, did people run to social media in 2020 and not, not in a good way. Uh, So many unnecessary posts, so many unhelpful comments, so many destructive things said. And I just had no idea until 2020 how many of my friends and people that I follow on social media were experts in epidemiology. 
How many of us in our isolation in possible depressive states decided uh, to spend hours scrolling through TikTok, through uh, uh, Facebook, through Instagram, through Reels, whatever it was, hours thinking like maybe this will just cheer me up. Maybe this will just leave me in a better mind space. Maybe this will fill the void in my life. And instead, what you found was not something to fill the void, but you found a shovel digging that void deeper and deeper and deeper into depression comparing your life to other people's lives just wasn't helpful. Here's another one that people ran to in 2020. Uh, More than ever, I think, this last year, people ran to cultural movements. Cultural movements. And now before you hear me wrongly about this one, not all cultural movements are bad things. And I'm actually grateful for some of the issues in our world that were kind of brought to the surface that do need addressing. But what we need to understand with cultural movements is that when we run to cultural movements, we often make the mistake of making our identity and putting our hope in that cultural movement. And what we're going to find is that we'll be left lacking if that cultural movement is our identity and it ends up drifting us away from the ultimate mission that God has put us on in this world. And supporting a cultural movement is not necessarily a bad thing, but here's the question I have for you. If we have more fervency about any given cultural movement than we do about winning people to Jesus Christ, that's a problem. Here's the third thing that people have run to in 2020. Uh, People more than ever have run to substances, comfort, and pleasure. Did you know Uh, alcohol sales in the U.S. in July alone, this past July in 2020, were up almost a billion and a half dollars compared to July in 2019. And as I researched this in the last week, uh, actually every year, uh, it turns out, in November and December, in the holiday months, alcohol sales spike almost $2 billion in one month just for the holidays. And it's expected to be well beyond that in 2020. Uh, Sadly, the internet porn industry had its record year in 2020. Also, just last week, the CDC released an article that drug overdose deaths increased by 26.5% in 2020. 26.5%. I think it's fair to say that what we've learned in 2020 is that when the pressure is greater in our lives, we have a tendency to run to all of the wrong places. And by the way, the stats that I mentioned already, the church is not immune to. In fact, in many cases, we've seen those in the American church fail in dismal ways during this pandemic. Trying to run to things for comfort and demand things that are divisive and lose sight of the most important mission that we have to be lights in this dark world. Not to blind people, but to lead people to the truth and the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ in hard times. And so now as 2020 is drawing to a close, it would be a shame if we didn't try to learn from it. And I believe God's word today is a timely message specifically revealing actually a greater pandemic than even the coronavirus in our world today. And it's this, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14 says, When I shut up the heavens, this is God talking to the people. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people then who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So now turn with me to Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 13, but before we get there, here's the big idea for this morning. Don't let the season... Determine the rhythm of your walk with God. 
Don't let the season determine the rhythm of your walk with God. You may be in a great season. You may be, everything may be thriving. You, 2020 was the best year yet as far as you're concerned, but maybe you're the opposite and you're in with the majority and 2020 just was not a good year. And this is a bad season. This is a hard season. This is a season of striving and surviving. Uh, but either way, on the good seasons or the bad season, we should not let that determine the rhythm and the pattern of our walk with God. And now the few stories that we're going to be covering this morning are very well-known stories of Jesus, and each and of themselves, they could have their own sermons. But uh, what I wanted to do is kind of look at some of the, the underlying pattern that I see in these stories of Jesus' example in the middle of his life circumstances as he's modeling what we should do in the middle of our life circumstances. So let's pick it up here at verse 13 in Matthew 14. It says this, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And so the first thing we need to understand is when Jesus heard what did he hear? Uh, Well, the first 12 verses of uh, chapter 14 talk about the story of how John the Baptist, the front runner of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' close friend, was beheaded by Herod. And so Jesus finds out that his good friend was beheaded, that his good friend, that he lost a good friend. He got some really bad news. And what did he do? He withdrew himself to go be by himself. For what purpose? Well, I think, actually, if you look all over the Gospels, there's an underlying pattern that you see of Jesus doing this a lot. He would go by himself. He had this habit and protocol and pattern in his life that he would go uh, remove himself from the circumstance to be by himself, to seek the Lord in prayer. Jesus is seeking his Father, and what he's doing is modeling exactly what we need to be doing when our lives take a turn. And in this case, Jesus just got some really bad news about John the Baptist. And so here's our first point this morning. We need to run to the Father, number one, when the news isn't good. We need to run to the Father when the news isn't good. We've all been there. In fact, even in the last couple weeks, I've been there with multiple families in our church as they've received bad news. Um, There's nothing we can do to fully prepare for it. Being on the phone, uh, just weeping with um, a member of our church over the loss of her husband. Not having words to speak and just, how did this happen? How could this happen? There's nothing you can do to prepare for that. But what Jesus is doing is modeling exactly what we do in response to it. We need to run to him. We need to run to the Father. We, we don't want to delay. We don't want to try to figure things out in the moment. We don't want to think rashly. What we need to do is drop right to our knees in that moment and call out to the Lord and seek the face of the Lord. No one knows the feeling of hurt and pain and hardship like our Lord does, who willingly went to the cross for us, suffering for our sake. He is the sustainer of our lives, and when we pray, it mobilizes his spirit to work in our lives greater than we could ever imagine. I can't tell you how many times in the last couple months, and even during this pandemic in 2020, that I prayed this next passage of scripture over people's lives in our church. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And get this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, recognized his need to seek the Lord in prayer often. And if Jesus, of all people, 
needs to seek the Lord in prayer often, how much more do we need it? Jesus was modeling the power of prayer to refill the tank of your life when you get bad news. And what we need most is peace in that time. And running to the Lord in prayer brings exactly that. It also, in return, then sustains us to continue the work that God has called us to do in the moment. Notice what happens after Jesus goes to seek the Lord after hearing bad news. He shows up after his quiet time on the boat. And what is he met with? He's met with scads of people. So many people. A huge crowd, it says in Scripture. And uh, notice how Jesus responds to the crowd. But before, this is how I would respond to the crowd. If I were Jesus, I would show up on the boat and I'd be like, guys, uh, I just, uh, you know what? I just, I'm going through a thing right now. Um, This is pretty hard. I just lost my friend. I mean, if you could just give me some space. I mean, I know you have needs. I know, I mean, you can't walk. That's really hard. I understand. I, I mean, listen, I just, I'm really, I just need some me time. Right now, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can be around people. That, that, I mean, that would be how I would respond after hearing of the, the death of a close friend uh, suddenly. But that's not Jesus. See, because God's faithfulness to give us power to do what he's called us to do is strengthened in prayer. And what Jesus does is he meets the crowd with what? He says he meets them with compassion. He just gets done hearing this awful news and he meets this crowd with compassion. He doesn't think about himself. He thinks about others and he starts healing the sick in the crowd and showing love to people. And then uh, another problem started to arise. There were so many people and so much happening, uh, it was starting to get dark. It was starting to get late. And there was another problem in the fact that there were so many people out in this desolate place and people were starting to get hungry. And actually the disciples were picking up on that. Let's pick up here in verse 15. It says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they don't need to go away. Why don't you just give them something to eat? (laughs) Now, think of what the disciples probably thought in that moment. They're like, what do you mean? mean Jesus, come on, man. There's thousands of people here. Thousands of people. What do you mean give them something? All All we have is... Five loaves of bread and two fish. And that's where we, in verse 17, that's exactly, we only have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, well, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Here's the second thing that we have this morning. We need to run to the Father when you face the impossible. Run to the Father, number two, when you face the impossible. You can almost see the look on Jesus' face when he tells the disciples to uh, feed the people. It was almost like he was purposely putting them in an impossible situation, wasn't he? And for what? I mean, I think Jesus knew, like, okay, yeah, it's going to be impossible to to have the disciples feed these thousands of people. But why would he do that? It was almost like he was giving them the chance to do something different. It was almost like he was giving them the chance to view Jesus differently in the moment that they seem to think is impossible. Like here we have the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God standing right before the disciples. And Jesus is like, why don't you give them something to eat? Thinking like, this is your chance. Look to me to solve this problem. And what do the disciples do? They're like, well, we can't do that. This is impossible. We only have five loaves and two fish. And so that's where Jesus then uses this as a teachable moment to show his disciples, what do you do in the impossible situations? What do you do when you face the impossible? And what did Jesus do? Notice what he did. It says he looked up to heaven after taking what the disciples had. He looked up to heaven 
and he said a blessing. He prayed. He ran to the Father. It says he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing. And then what happened? The impossible turned into the possible, and everyone was fed. And there were even 12 baskets left over. Do you imagine how much food that has to be for over 5,000 people to eat and be filled and then have 12 baskets of leftover food from five loaves and two fish? And before you get ahead of me, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking like, you know what? It would be impossible in my life that I would ever own a Ferrari. So in the name of Jesus, God, I am coming to you. I'm running to you for my Ferrari. Um, That is not uh, what God's word is pointing to here, nor anywhere in God's word does it point to that. And I'd be wary of any pastor that would tell you to do something like that. But what prayer does in the impossible situation of your life is what it does is it puts the rubber to the road of your faith and its dependence on God who provides for you exactly what you need. Running to the Father in this situation is then saying, God, listen, I don't know how this thing could pan out. And even if it doesn't, I still trust you. And I know that you are good and that you know exactly what I need and that you are in control over absolutely everything in my life. Even this impossible thing, God, that I'm dealing with right now, maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe your kids haven't talked to you in years and you've been praying, God, I just, I want to have that relationship again that I used to have. Whatever it is, running to the Father in impossible times shows two things, desperation and reliance. And if you want to talk about the type of fuel that the Spirit runs on in the life of the believer, Uh, It's desperation and reliance on God, knowing that only he can solve the impossible situations. We simply cannot exist without him, so we run to him in our times of need. Just like we ran to him in that moment that we surrendered our hearts to him in that impossible situation called our sin in our lives. Knowing that we were hopeless without him, that there literally was no outcome apart from a work of God in our lives to solve the issue of sin. We need to run to the Father when we face the impossible. So at this point, Jesus is probably uh, emotionally spent with the loss of his friend, John the Baptist. And he also just finished a full day of healing the people and feeding more than 5,000 people miraculously. At this point, I would want to take a nap at least, uh, but that's not what happens here. Let's pick up in verse 22. It says, immediately, not after a nap, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Here's a third thing. We need to run to the Father when you are exhausted. You need to run to the Father when you are exhausted. I think if you were to ask your typical person what they would do when they are dog tired, uh, praying probably doesn't even make the board. I think that's because for a myriad of different reasons, we've allowed ourselves to view prayer as this magic spell or some uh, memorized line in the play of life that we use and that we say uh, when we're in trouble. And don't get me wrong, uh, prayer is very important when you are in trouble, but that's not only what prayer is important for. That's not only why we pray. Uh, Prayer is simply talking to the Lord, just like if you and I were sitting over a cup of coffee talking to each other. And now you may not be able to hear his end of the conversation audibly, but he can hear yours, and that's the point. Prayer is approaching the Lord in a conversation and bringing him your concerns and your anxieties and the things that bother you, but also thanking him for everything, even the hard things in your life. 
Because what prayer does is, again, it shows him that we need him, shows our reliance and our dependence on him, that we're lost without him, and that he is the only solution to everything in our lives. And the Lord knows, Lord knows that when we're tired, uh, we tend to do stupid things. Um, I, I actually heard the amen through the internet on that one. Um, we tend to do stupid things when we are tired. Uh, you know who else knows that? The enemy. Uh, Satan, who is described in scripture as a lion going to and fro, seeking someone to devour, knows that the best time to trap you, the best time to tempt you, the best time to get you is when you are weak. And so when we are tired, when we're exhausted, we cannot just give up and let loose and get lazy because what we need to be mindful of is in that moment of our exhaustion, we have just entered the spiritual battlegrounds of our souls. This is why just a couple chapters before this one, Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The next time you're tired, the next time you're exhausted, run to the Father. Find your rest in our Father. But if you're like me, you've had good days with this and probably also have had some pretty rough days with this, pretty bad days with this. And that brings us to the next part of our passage. Let's pick up here in verse 23. After he, Jesus, had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat that he sent his disciples on by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that means really late at night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when, he, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, of course Peter would do this. Is, this is such a Peter thing to do. Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of of God. Here's the fourth thing this morning. Run to the Father, number four, when you are sinking. Run to the Father when you are sinking. Now, we're going to turn our attention to Peter, who in the moment of weakness doubts the Lord. And actually, we see doubt in three different places in this little story here. Uh, first is assuming that Jesus was a ghost, uh, and, and then fearing the ghost. Uh, and that one actually seems reasonable, because how many of you have actually seen anybody walking on the water in the middle of the night? So, uh, I would probably be pretty afraid too. So let's give some grace there to that one. I think we would all be in that boat. Secondly, after Jesus says, take heart, it is I, at that point they know, okay, this is Jesus. It's gotta, you know, Peter then decides to question him, to question Jesus on if he is who he says he is, and then to test him by commanding him to say, hey, but let me come out. If you are who you say you are, let me come out to you on the water just like you're walking on the water. Uh, and so he does. And here's what's interesting. Uh, it says that Peter got all the way out to Jesus. He walked on the water all the way out to Jesus before then he noticed the wind and the waves and then just started to sink. Uh, you see, Peter started sinking the second he took his eyes off of Jesus and onto his circumstances, onto his surroundings. And I truly believe the greatest temptation that the enemy can send our way like a flaming arrow is the temptation of distraction. If he, if he can just distract us from keeping our eyes on Jesus, he knows that that's when we start sinking. 
And sadly, this happens all the time. Look back in your life. Look back. I look back on my life, and you have these, these seasons of just thriving relationship with Christ. And you're just going hard after the Lord, and you are on fire for Christ. And then out of nowhere, something happens, and you take your eyes off of Jesus, and you start spiraling. And then one thing leads to another, and one sin is rationalized into greater sin until you find yourself sinking in the wind and the waves of your guilt and shame. And on top of that, the enemy is uh, really good at trying to convince you in that moment that you don't need help. And your pride gets in the way, and it acts like an anchor just pulling you deeper and deeper and deeper into the dark waters of your guilt and shame and sin. And church family, hear me. We are not meant for the spiral. We are not meant to sink deeper and deeper into sin. Hear me. Jesus died to stop the trajectory of the spiral of sin and shame in our lives. Jesus paid for that sin so we don't have to live in that sin or die in that sin. It's moments like this moment that if you are sinking in sin, if you're watching this right now and you are just being overcome by your sin and sinking deeper and deeper into that sin, Swallow your pride and reach out just like Peter did in the moment and say, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. Jesus is always right there and ready to reach his hand out and pull you back up on top of your life. And the question is, will you reach out? Will you reach out to the Lord this morning? Because the next thing that happens is really amazing. Peter says, Lord, save me. And then Jesus reaches out, grabs Peter, and they both walk, assumingly, on the water to get back into the boat. And immediately, the wind ceased, the storm stopped, and Jesus displayed his victory over the winds and the waves. And Peter, along with the disciples, have witnessed yet another amazing sign that Jesus is indeed who he says he is. And their response to that is worship. Here's the fifth thing this morning. We need to run to the Father when you experience victory. We need to run to the Father when you experience the victory that Jesus has accomplished in your life. It says that those in the boat worshipped him, then saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And if I could be honest here for a moment, I think this is, uh, I think we struggle with this one when it comes to prayer. Because how often does God come through for us, pulling us through and answering uh, the the prayers that we have in our lives, pulling us through the storms and the trials, and we finally get the reprieve that we were looking for, and then what? We just kind of just go on to back to life as normal, don't we? And I think if we were to be honest, we'd look back on our lives and see dozens, if not hundreds of opportunities missed of those times where prayer was answered um, and those little victories that we go through and uh, we miss that opportunity to worship him and to run to the Father in prayer to say, God, thank you. If we truly understood and wrapped our heads around who is the reason for these victories, we should run to him in prayer and worship every single time they happen. We should never pat ourselves on the back as if we had anything to do with it. It's relying on God and glorifying him for everything in the good times that keeps the momentum for us to rely on him in the bad times, in the hard times. Listen, God should not be the father that only hears from his kids when they're in trouble or they need a bailout. God should not be the father that only hears from his kids when they are in trouble and need a bailout. God is a good father who loves us, who receives us and sustains us and blesses us while we are experiencing victory in our lives as much as he blesses us and sustains us while we are in the hard times. 
We cannot be neglecting to run to the Father in the good times because he is worthy of worship for literally everything in our lives, for literally every breath that we take right now. And if you remember how I started this message, pressing into what the gospel is, the reason for that is because the ability that we have to run to the Father is only made possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, because of our sin, we cannot approach the Father. And he knew that, and that's why he made a way out of no way. He solved the impossible situation of our sin in our lives by sending his son to be the perfect sacrifice for us on the cross, to absolve our sins, to save us. And for those who believe in Jesus, those who believe that he did that for them, those who believe that Christ took their place on the cross for them, they can now approach the Father. We can approach the Father with confidence, knowing that when God sees us, He doesn't see us in our guilt and shame. He sees his son in our place. And as good as that is, God goes even beyond that to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us of our sins, but also give us the spirit to live in us. It's the same spirit that Romans 8 says that intercedes for us. He prays for us on our behalf when we go through hardships so much that we don't even have words to speak. This is the Father that we serve. This is the Father that we worship. This is the Father that Jesus withdrew to spend time with regularly. And if Jesus needs that, we for sure need it. And here's the reality. I love this about our God. God wants us to come to him. God desires for us to come to him. He's not up there angry at us. He's not up there looking at us like, yeah, you screwed up big time there. I'm not going to, good luck coming to me. No, God wants us to come close to him. He wants to bless us for the obedience of relying on him and asking him for the things that we need in our lives. He wants to provide for us. In fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus talks exactly about this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. For which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, thanks God, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? And as a father, I, I, actually, I can relate to this feeling. I can relate to the feeling of wanting, give, of wanting to give good gifts to our kids. The other day, my son and I, Gabe, he, we were at the Farm and Fleet store in Holland. I was picking up uh, um, smoker pellets for uh, my smoker for Christmas dinner. It was a brisket, and it was amazing. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. Anyways, while I was standing there, I was looking at the, uh, the different types of pellets, and Gabe the entire time was just bored, and he's kind of leaning up against the cart looking at the end cap of the aisle next to us, which uh, sat this beautiful uh, Power Wheels John Deere toy. And he was looking at that toy, and he just kept staring at that toy. And just, I could see it in the corner of my eyes as I was trying to figure out what I was getting. I finally loaded up the pellets into the cart, and Gabe, uh, gently, he comes up, he takes my hand, and he walks me over to that John Deere Power Wheels toy. You know what I'm talking about? The things that, like, when you're a kid, you think you own a car, and you can drive around. It's the best thing in the world. Everyone wants one. And uh, he takes me over, and he says this verbatim. He says, Dad, I know you're going to say that we're not able to get this right now. Um, my heart dropped because either I raised a genius who knew exactly what to say or he truly just wanted me to know that like that's something that he really wants but it's okay if he doesn't get it. And now I, I, 
I can't read my son's heart for sure to know where he was coming from. I can take a pretty good guess. But I know that in everything, uh, everything in me wanted to buy that stinking thing for him right then and there. But you know what I did? I bought it for him later when he didn't know about it for him to open up on Christmas knowing that he would be more blessed by the surprise of it on Christmas. Now think about this, think about this. I delayed that purchase because I knew he would be more blessed by it at a later time with the surprise of it. How much more thought and consideration do you think our father puts into how he answers our prayer? You may be sitting there thinking, gosh, I, I have been praying for this prayer for so long and it, God never answers my prayers. God never answers my prayers. Well, guess what? God knows way more than we know and his timing is perfect and God is the best giver and yes, he does bless us with things. But even more important than that, what we get when we come to him in prayers, we get him. He blesses us with his presence. We get his comfort and his peace that's promised to us when we approach the throne of grace in prayer. And now I understand that you may not have had an earthly father that was a good example or maybe even is the reason why you have a skewed view of our heavenly father right now. But I want you to hear me. Our heavenly father wants to lavish on you the blessing of being his child. Psalm 147 verse 11 says that the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who uh, hope in his steadfast love. And we need him more now than ever so looking back in 2020, maybe you thrived, uh, maybe you strived, and, uh, or maybe you just survived. But if I could be so bold as to help you with your New Year's resolution for next year, would we run to the Father? Would we rely on him daily in prayer and worship and watch him accomplish things in our lives that we thought were impossible? Would we watch him pull us through the hardest times and up and out of the pit that we may be sinking in right now and watch him strengthen us and give us victory where we thought victory was impossible because he is a good father who loves us, who is gracious to us, who is merciful to us, who through Jesus Christ's sacrifice forgives us. He's never too busy for us, but he is always available to listen to us. Let's run to the father. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the gift of your son. We're so grateful for the opportunity that we have as your children to be able to run to you in our times of need, but also in our times of victory, God, to say we are so grateful for who you are, for the solution that you've given us in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord. And Lord, we just pray we need help with this. This last year was hard. We know that it was a hard year that we didn't do everything correctly. Uh, and God, we know going into this next year, um, you don't you wouldn't allow things like 2020 to happen uh, for no reason. And we know that we have a lot to learn going into 2021. I just pray, Lord, for the boldness and the strength and the endurance to be able to do what you have called us to do, to rely more heavily on you, to show more dependence on you, to understand that we literally can't do anything apart from you. And God, I just pray that you would give us the boldness to believe that by faith and run to you often seeing you as the sustainer of our lives, as the giver of all good things. And Lord, we're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful for your spirit in our lives to not only be available to us to listen, but also to, to give us everything that we need for life and godliness to pursue you. So Lord, we commit this next year to you just like we, commit, uh, we have committed this last year to you. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it and that you would bless us in the process of glorifying you. 
in Jesus' name we pray.